Please be seated. So now Dan Panaru will come forward and deliver God's word to us. Well, good morning on this uh, beautiful, um, smoggy, smoky, um, sticky summer Sunday. There, there are two types of Christians in the world, truth Christians and love Christians. Oh, I know that that distinction is utterly false, that God is both truth and love, and we should hold on both values. So um, why am I putting my foot in my mouth uh, right from the start? Well, because in case you didn't know, I'm a card-carrying member of the Love Christians group. So today's passages have been quite difficult for me to accept and to receive. How could this 100% love Christian in the spirit of Henry Nouwen handle all of today's passages full of persecution, pain, enemies, battles, and revenge. I'll be honest, it was hard. As always, I chose a Sunday based on my availability, not on the readings, and accepted the text to preach on as from God. Despite that, moving quickly from the Old Testament to the Psalms and to the New Testament reading, I had secretly expected Jesus' words in the Gospel to save the day, but they didn't. So I was pretty ready to do what anyone else would do in my shoes, uh, ask someone else to preach today. <laughs> but somehow it didn't sound like what God wanted me to do. Besides, our Emmaus leadership had long decided that during this time without a pastor, we want to hear the word of God as perceived and understood by our community. So here I am. Enough personal musings. Let's talk, let's look together today's gospel passage. First of all, it's context. Context is clear. Early in Jesus' ministry, while preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, that's Matthew 9, 35, Jesus notes two verses later that, quote, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So, after the multiple healings and other miracles of chapter 9. In early chapter 10, Jesus chooses his disciples, his 12 disciples, then sends them out with some very clear instructions. They are to preach the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. They are to heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons, and all this using only divine rather than financial or material resources. Beyond delegating to them the very tasks which he himself had performed so far, Jesus also prepares his disciples for the world in which he is sending them. So the rest and the bulk of chapter 10 includes multiple repeated stark warnings about this context. Appropriately summed up in the expression that has since remained in our Anglo-Saxon culture and is the title of my sermon as sheep among wolves. Threats of hatred, persecution, violence, and extradition abound, and Jesus is surely not mincing his words. As sheep among wolves. 
This clearly was the context in which the 12 apostles were sent out. How true is this of our context today, though? Well, as much as this may sound odd in the face of our generally comfortable lives in a wealthy, highly developed Western country, we Christians have actually always been sheep among wolves. In the first place, ever since the church was born, it has been a minority, surrounded by people with vastly different beliefs, morality, and behaviors. And this holds true whether we think of the first three Christian centuries before Constantine, or the Europe of the past two centuries, or of Christians in Asia and in the Middle East throughout history. In fact, the majority status of Christians in the Roman Empire after Constantine, during the Middle Ages in Europe and in contemporary America, is the exception rather than the rule. Not only are these few places and periods an exception to Jesus' words and to the whole trust of the New Testament, but a testimony of those few periods, all the way from the late Roman emperors to the recent U.S. presidents, seems to confirm that God has never meant for Christianity to be a ruling religion. The historical facts not only remind us that so-called triumphant faith of any kind is an anomaly that has never worked out very well in practice, but also that the staple suggestion that things are getting worse and worse simply does not align with the historical record. Now, not only are we meant to be a minority surrounded by non-Christians, but oddly enough, those around us tend to be unhappy with us. And therefore, they may marginalize, oppress, or even persecute us. The actual means for such actions have thankfully changed somewhat over time. And although there is still significant religious persecution in many countries today, what we experience here in Montreal looks fairly different. We're generally not jailed or physically oppressed for our beliefs. Yet, things can get pretty rough when those among us actually speak out in keeping with their faith and in some way or another offend the values of the non-Christian majority around us. Much of the relative peace we're experiencing these days in Canada may unfortunately be due to Christianity having, having been so fully displaced from the public discourse that most people no longer even notice us and our voice is rarely heard. So that's, whether we like it or not, the state of affairs. Thankfully, Jesus not only paints this dark reality to his disciples, but he also instructs them how to behave and what to do. In fact, our passage today starts with these instructions. So how then shall we live our lives today? What do we see in these verses? No, let's start with what we don't see in these verses. It may surprise us, but I don't see in Jesus's message anywhere something like, you're surrounded by wolves, take up arms and kill those wretched war wolves. I'm not even seeing a less violent option, something like, 
You're surrounded by wolves. Defend yourselves and fight with all you have. The sheep must triumph. Nor, interestingly, any exhortations like, you're surrounded by wolves. Get out of this place into safety. So what do we see? What do we see? Well, in the first place, we come to our second passage headline. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This seems to be a key imperative in, key in Jesus' message, so let's unpack it a bit. What does this unusual juxtaposition of two animal characteristics mean? While the dove is a much beloved, uh, much loved biblical character connected so closely to Jesus' baptism and transfiguration, the serpent would seem an unusual choice of animal to emulate, being elsewhere described as crafty and cunning, Genesis 3.1 and 2 Corinthians 11.3. And yet, both animals contribute to the model of behavior we are to adopt while surrounded by wolves, wisdom and innocence. Here's how one classic commentary puts it. Alone, the wisdom of the serpent is mere cunning, and the harmlessness of the dove little better than weakness. But in combination, the wisdom of the serpent would save them from unnecessary exposure to danger, the harmlessness of the dove from sinful expedience to escape it. So this is what God asks from us while living in these difficult times. But what can we expect from God? Jesus reassures us beyond all doubt that God is with us, accompanying us throughout and giving us the words to speak. Therefore, we're not to be afraid, fearful, or anxious. God is in control. He holds all things in his hand. And in Paul's famous words in the book of Romans, if God is with us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. So in our methods, we must be wise as serpents and innocent or pure as doves. In our attitudes, we must not be afraid, but fully rest on God's provision. What about in our message? Our message, of course, is the gospel. And the gospel, which the disciples were commanded to carry to the last, was not just words. It was deeds. Preaching the nearness of the kingdom, Jesus instructed, um, was to be inseparable from caring for those, for caring for those in need, vulnerable or marginalized, the sick, the poor, the oppressed. And it's, an escape, it's inescapable that for us here in a society where the actual preaching of the gospel rarely extends outside our churches, the preaching through deeds of compassion, kindness, and care has no such bounds or limitations. Could it be that this is what being wise as serpents means? I hope that these thoughts may help us live as disciples of Christ in our multicultural, politically correct Montreal society. 
For this love-focused progressive Christian, today's message is a clear reminder that all is not, after all, well in our world. As much as my life is comfortable in my community, as a Christian, I belong to a minority group whose place in society can easily change without much notice. But for such a time as this, the passage also reminds me that God is right here in Montreal, in Emmaus today, guiding my steps and my words so I don't have to fear. All that he asks of me is to aim for wisdom and innocence and to be faithful in carrying the gospel in word and deed as I can. And for me, that means abiding in Christ and loving those around me with his love. As simple as this call is, fulfilling it is hard, and I fail way too often. But thankfully, it's not about me. It's not me, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. In the famous final verses of Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of God, of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 